Hi, I'm Jennifer Wilde, and you're listening to Sober Exposure. If it's about recovery, we're going to cover it. It's like one big therapy session, but it's free. So thanks for joining our dysfunctional family as we uncover recovery with Sober Exposure. Let's go. Sober exposure. Welcome, everybody. It's Jennifer Wild with uh, every every week. I say I love this guest, amazing guest. Um, I have Brienne Davis, who is the author of The Secret Life Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. So we're going to talk about taboo today. We're going to talk about what people don't like to talk about. And this is why, like, I demanded having you on my show because you're doing it in such a tactful way, you know? People don't like to talk about slaw. And I'm not talking about the kind that has too much mayonnaise. (laughs) You know, it's and it's it's everywhere and people don't look at it as an addiction. And I want to I want to let's just dig into it. Slaw. What is slaw? What is it? It's Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous is what it is. It's a 12-step program based on AA Big Book, you know, but it's for sex and love addicts. So that's like sex addicts, sex and love addicts, sex anorexics, love addicts. It's all in there together in this under this umbrella program. Okay. And I've I've gone to meetings. Um yeah. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. This this show is all about all kinds of addictions. And um I've been in treatment centers where like real strict ones where the therapist was like, okay, so if, if you're an alcoholic and an addict and a woman, now I don't know if I'm all, uh, if I'm going to agree with her on this, okay. in my case, it was true. But if you're an alcoholic and a woman, most likely you're a sex addict. That, that was her, her diagnosis. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of weird because like for the first 15 days in that treatment center, they had somebody come to the shower with me to make sure I wouldn't be masturbating a lot of addicts masturbate to get out of feelings. That's their first thing they do when they're young is they masturbate to not feel their feelings. Okay. Brianne already, we've just had some, a breakthrough and I'm going to admit something that I'm really embarrassed to admit. I think I might've admitted it before in the show, uh-huh. but so I found, I found masturbation when I was like five. Oh Yeah really, really young. I think three or four, I put that in the book. I talked about like my first lover was my teddy bear in the book. (laughs) Mine was the cuddly blanket. I would (laughs) go on my cuddly blanket. No. So, I mean, let's, if you have a, 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 if you find your um, child, if you're a parent and you have a toddler and you find them doing that, Mm -hmm. do you, do you, would you encourage it or would you tell them to stop? My mom used to always be like, Jen, stop wiggling. That's not right. You don't know what you're doing. And she like would tell me to stop. Yeah, I would actually probably have a conversation about it and see what's going on with my child while they're why they're trying to self soothe so early and see what's going on and what feelings aren't being felt. But I would never shame them ever Mm -hmm. or tell them, no, don't do that, because there's a fine line between shaming someone and with their sexuality at a young age you know, and then encouraging it at the same time, I wouldn't be doing right. Like sex is okay. It's not dirty. Um, but let, let's understand what exactly why we're doing it. And the same reason is masturbation gets you out of yourself, just like food or just like computer addiction, alcohol, drug, whatever, you know, anything that takes you out of yourself can become an addiction. Yeah. Um, brand, give us like 
maybe just sort of, I like to say the cliff notes version of your story and how this became your passion. Well, I have had recovery in sex and love addicts anonymous for 12 years. So I am an old timer in the program. I, not many people have sobriety and, and slaw or slay on the East coast. They call it slay on the West coast. They call it slaw, but yeah, I decided on my decade of recovery. I was in a meeting in Los Angeles and there was 80 people sitting around and I got my decade of recovery chip in my hand. And I remember it was like 19, 20 year olds and all of that were talking about how much they are struggling with intimacy and connection and social media and the porn industry and masturbation and over-sexualizing themselves, young girls. And it was this moment for me after 12 years, 10 years of recovery, I was like, oh my God, I have to be bigger. I can't just stay in my community anymore. I can't just stay and talk to sponsees across the world or go to recovery places. I have to be bigger than this. So that was the turning point for me, but I would never recommend anyone getting into especially sex and love addicts anonymous to, to break their anonymity. It's, brutal. It's a brutal disease to get over or get through. They say, you know, a is the last house on the blocks laws, like the shack in the back, like no one wants to go to. It's like the worst, (laughs) the last stop. It's like the PhD of all the addictions because on top of eating and, and debting and money and shopping and chemical addiction underneath that is usually relational. And that's what sex and love addicts anonymous is. It's about relationships. I snort people. I (laughs) drink people. I literally inhale them. I rape people of their energy because I'm so depleted with myself that I have low self-esteem, fear of abandonment, fear of intimacy, fear of being loved. So mine started really, really young. I, for a very long time, came from a household that didn't show healthy relationships. I didn't have it modeled for me. My parents weren't in a happy marriage. They never held hands. They never slept in the same Mm. bed. So when I looked at marriage and commitment, oh, it looked terrible. Like it was like, and I was a latchkey kid. So I watched a lot of movies. My favorite movie growing up was Romeo and Juliet. Mm -hmm. I talk about this in the book. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if someone's not stabbing themselves or willing to drink some poison for me, then I don't want it. Like I want, I want you to be able to wanting to die for me. And that's crazy to think about that. Like who, no logical sane person. So that's the model I had, you know, the highs, the butterfly, the first touch, the first kiss. And I've been falling in love is the best high in the world. It's like as good as cocaine. I heard, I haven't done cocaine, but I heard it's great. And it's like, and it's that, falling in love is legal and you don't, uh, well, I was going to say you don't withdraw, but you do withdraw. Oh, um, it's brutal withdrawal. It's terrible. It is at a man came in at my six months into withdrawal and he said, I can quit heroin, but I can't quit her. And that to me showed me how severe this is. I've had friends commit suicide. I've had friends murder people. I've spoken in jails for two and a half years at a women's facility holding slaw meetings there the withdrawal process from sex and love addicts anonymous is like, you literally want to unzip your skin and come out of it. It's the worst. Mine was nine months. I cried every day for nine months. I gave up sex for a year. I didn't have any guy friends for, for years. I couldn't text, email, talk to talk to a man whatsoever. So it was brutal. I I'm listening to it and I'm miserable. (laughs) 
Like, let me tell you the, the sex addiction. Mm -hmm. It's true. Like I'm, I, I, I'm a heroin addict. I'm a cocaine addict. I'm an alcoholic. You name it. The one addiction that I was never able to tackle yeah. probably because I really, it was my first, it's my first, it's my drug of choice right. is, is, is sex. And I don't mean having sex. I mean, you mentioned in the book, I'm addicted. My first addiction was attention, attention, validation. Yes. Give me that. Give yes. me that power and high over another individual. Give me that control. Let me feel that like worthiness. And that was mine too. Like I just want power and control in the sex part. Like I said, in the book, I've never had a one night stand. I actually haven't had many sexual partners for my age, but I use my sexuality as currency to get what I want. And that's love the difference. I love that you said that because it's sort of like, I'm, and I, I'm going to compare everything like alcoholic, like people yeah, yeah. come to me and they're like, Jennifer, I'm not an alcoholic because I only drink twice a week. But the thing is when I do drink, I can't stop and I get DUIs and I have a jail and it, you know, so even if you haven't had multiple lovers, so mm -hmm. you're saying to yourself, you're listening to this, you know, I do have a lot of those characteristics, but I've only been with like three people in my life. So that doesn't mean you don't struggle with this affliction. I mean, we yes. have broken pickers. I know for me, my sex addiction comes in my picker. I'll mm -hmm. pick emotionally unavailable men yep. that will not be there for me. So I will obsess about them. And, and I, it, it usually lasts about three years, the obsession on, on that person. Yeah. Like and you know why you window. pick that person? Do you know why your picker is broken? Be, probably because of the way that I grew up in my upbringing, just like you were talking about, I didn't, I didn't see love and anything like that in my household. And I don't know, tell me why else, why, why do I pick the wrong men? <laughs> well, this is why you pick the wrong men because a part of you is actually unavailable. You pick a man not to show up for you so it can revalidate that you are not available and worthy of actual love because a part of you is scared of it. A part of you actually doesn't want it. So we have intimacy issues. As intimacy well. issues. Mm -hmm. Underneath any sex addict, sex and love addicts, love addict is an intimacy issue. And usually underneath that, we over-sexualize, but, but we're so detached from it with our intimacy. So here's, an, here's the thing. I could have sex with you and act like I like you and be okay. But if I love you and care about you, the sexuality is too intimate. So I shut down sexually. I become a sexual anorexic. So after a year with someone, when the highs and the butterflies wear off, I think the passion is gone. And instead of moving to that next level of intimacy, I'm clocking, looking for someone else to line give up. That buzz. What? To give you that rush of the new love. Yes. Right? And that, that feeling, because going into the next level of intimacy, intimacy with somebody terrifies me, but I just thought, well, no, I have so much love and this person is not giving me what I need. They're lacking what I need. And really the common denominator is what me, me. Yeah. So yeah. that's my thing to you. If you keep picking toxic relationship, if you keep picking unavailable people, it's because you're unavailable. Yeah. And, and I totally am 100% unavailable. I admit it. I love it. I love it. Totally At least you know it. it. Yeah, I admit <laughs> it. And I also admit that exactly. I always wondered why for me, it's two years. I could be with a guy for two years. I could have like, okay, so like I'm in love with Dave Grohl. He yeah. is my God. I, and he might not be conventionally the hottest guy on earth, but to me, he is. And even Dave Grohl, after two years, I would kick him to the curb. I'd be I like, know. I'm bored. 
a board. I know, but the boredom is not really boredom. The boredom is you not wanting to go to the next level of intimacy with somebody. So we think about it as boredom because Mm -hmm. it's not those highs and lows. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I did a a podcast on tantric sex Yeah, and it was all about intimacy. And I was like, I I cannot even talk about this because this is too scary for me. Like you want me to look into my partner's eyes while we're making love. Are you kidding? (laughs) And to do that exercise, my husband and I, we had to hold each other and hug. And I would always want to squirm out like too much. Okay. This is making me uncomfortable. It is beautiful though. It is like the thought of it's beautiful, but I want the the hot guy that's going to excite me and drive the fast car and treat me like shit and kick me to the curb. And then I can, and then the rush of finding the next one, you know? And here's the thing I want to tell you after all these years of recovery, a big saying is find the hottest person in the world the hottest. And I tell you, somebody's sick of fucking them. <laughs> that is what they say, because that fantasy we put on other people, that romanticizing another person, the magical qualities we give to other people, we then idolize them and pursue them. And then they don't live up to our expectations. Mm. So we're disappointed. So that is a part of the addiction, that fantasizing, if I find the right person, if they're hot enough, if they have the car, if they have this or that, it will be everything. And it's not, it's just oh emptiness. Then you get right. Then once you get it, you're, you're not, yeah, you're, you're not satisfied and you're still empty and there's still the black hole. And then yeah. if you're like me, you're like, okay, so now what can I do to make myself feel good? Oh, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll go shopping. I'll watch Netflix. Yeah. I'll eat a cupcake. I'll go gambling or whatever. Everybody has an ism. Everybody goes to something to not feel their feelings. But the problem is with having an addiction to people and attention and validation and love and all of that is that you still have to relate to other people. And so it, That's what makes the program so difficult. That's why only 5% of people are still in the program, you know, 12 years ago. It's really tough to get through. Yeah. And, and when I went to the program, I was in, um, I mean, I was surprised at the community because it was a strong community. Oh, it's, um, it's badass. It's a badass. Yeah, it community. is. I mean, they would go on bike ride because and, and then also I was like, well, I'm only going to women's meetings because I don't I, like ew, like I don't want to pay a little. You know, I, got <laughs> I know creepy. you walk in and you're yeah. like, is everybody you try to like have sex with each right. other? <laughs> but here's where I'm so sick, because first I'm like, ew, but then I'm like, oh, I bet I could. I bet I could meet someone really. I cool. bet I could and meet some really good me. person. Maybe I should go. Maybe I'll wear my an inappropriate outfit to the meeting. No, it is the safest community in the world. Honestly, when people hear me say that, and that's why I wrote the book, I wrote the book, someone a year through recovery and sex and love addicts anonymous. And I wrote it in Mm -hmm. a fun way where it's like a movie or television show. So anybody can read it and laugh their asses off. And it's not dark. It's not a dark, uh, dive into an addiction. It's really funny. I, it's very self-deprecating, but the first year, all those thoughts of like going into a meeting, thinking there's all these sex crave stuff. Oh, maybe I'll wear this outfit. And it is the safest community. I feel safer hanging out with a bunch of sex and love addicts and recovery than anywhere in this world. There's rules, there's boundaries that you can't say certain things. You can't wear certain things. You can't 13 step each other. That's not allowed. It is the safest place. Yeah. And I found that as well. When I went to, it was like the place where you can learn. It's kind of like 
a practice place where you can learn how to have healthy relationships with the opposite sex. Exactly. And the opposite sex meetings are my favorite. You know, it, I, my first meeting was a mixed meeting and I was nervous about it. I only wanted to go to women's meetings too, but there's a thing I needed to see the sex I was I was attracted to as actual human beings and to watch and listen to a man say like, I feel broken and alone. I feel like something's wrong with me. I don't know why I keep doing these things. I don't mean to hurt somebody. I'm addicted to porn, all this stuff. I'm addicted to the fantasy rather than the reality to sit and hear someone say that of the sex you're attracted to. It humanizes them. And that we're all human and we're all flawed and we're all broken in some broken in some sense, but really we're not, we're just all little children wanting to be loved. Yeah. I, there was nothing. I mean, it was so powerful. I was at a, a meeting once and mm-hmm. this guy walks in, you know, you could tell like, he looked like he had everything together, solid gold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you, the, the, uh, silver Fox by total type. It was a nightmare, a nightmare. And of course I'm walking in like, Oh, he thinks I'm hot. You know, that's another thing with sex addicts, we always think that everyone's looking at us. I know we're so I, well, selfish. They're probably and looking at you because if, if you're not watching this, she's absolutely ridiculously beautiful. So they probably are looking at you. I guarantee you they're not all looking at me, but <laughs> you know, so, but what, what it was, was it just, this guy walks in and then he decided to share and it was his first meeting and he got caught having affairs, multiple affairs. And he starts crying and just humanized this man, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I wasn't in a place to be able to approach him or talk to him because I just wanted to sleep with him. But, uh, you know, no, it just, you're, you, good for you. You should enough. You uh, and you don't talk to newcomers. If you're the, the sex they're attracted to, you don't actually communicate with them at all. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I do have a story for you. That was one of the things for me. I saw like my heart throb and I wrote about it in the book. I can't remember what chapter. I think it's like chapter nine. I named all the characters like Oscar, superstar, cool girl. Anyway, yeah. so Oscar walks into the room and this is like an A. I love your names for your boyfriend. I do. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I gave everybody weird names so you'll yeah. never know who they are. I kind of like you to guess like it's like a fun guessing game. But right. this character Oscar walks into and he is like the end all be all and the sex symbol. And he sits down and he says something like, his wife cheated on him. He feels like a sex object everywhere he goes. People just like use him for who he is. And it was such a beautiful moment that I was actually doing that to him. And I didn't realize I was. So there's a lot of moments where Roxanne, the character, which I, after me, um, I assumed yeah. it was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's my story, but it's other people's stories too. When I wrote it, I wrote it. So anybody could have Roxanne, like do be mm. Roxanne, have some Roxanneism in them. And it's just not mine. So I, it was a memoir, but I made it a fiction book where it's this character and yeah, she really, really gets raw about how manipulative she is, how controlling, how power hungry, how vain, and then going on the other side of how that how that growth can happen to get out of that addictive mind. And a lot of it is like breaking those stereotypes. Do you think that sex addiction, addiction and narcissism go hand in hand? Definitely. I think even for me, I have narcissistic tendencies. I'm not a narcissist, but yeah, I think a lot of times sex addiction and sex and love addiction, because it's all a lot of vanity and 
and lacking self-confidence. Like my ego is ginormous, but then my self-hatred is ginormous at the same time. So it's this duality where you're the shit, but you're also a piece of shit at the same time. So yeah, narcissism just breeds there, you know, in that disease. Superior complex Mm -hmm. when you really have an inferior complex. That's what my mother used to always say. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So if somebody's like sitting here and being like, I don't know, what what would you say some of the characteristics are like beginning characteristics or whatever of of someone that's struggling with sex addiction or if you're in denial, Brianne's here to tell you exactly some of the symptoms, I guess you would say. Yeah. I mean, there's so many. The first thing I say is, are you in toxic relationships? Do you find yourself going from relationship to relationship to relationship? Do you have this idea of this soulmate that's going to complete you? Is there drama in your life with relationships with your lovers or friends or family? It can be any of them because this addiction literally hits every relationship in your life. Do you find yourself reaching out to someone for them to make you feel better? And when you get off the phone with them or talk to them, it you don't, it's depleted. You're depleted. So it's using people in your life all the time. And do you feel yourself sexualize yourself to get what you want, which is meaning you can be in a marriage with somebody and be a sex addict because if you are manipulating and controlling them with your sexuality, that's the same thing as a prostitute. I do it all the time to my, to my partner. I'll be like, I'll give you a little if you do this later. Yes. So there you go. Those are characteristics. So the first thing I say, if you're picking unavailable people, unavailable friendships, going back to family members that are even unavailable, unavailable partners, there's something in you that's unavailable and you're looking outside of yourself to complete yourself. So that would be the first thing. Do the 40 questions. There's 40 self-diagnosed questions online. Yes or no answer is really easy. It's like, do you look for someone to fix you? Have you had sex at inappropriate places with inappropriate people at inappropriate times? Did you check, lose, check, check. check. <laughs> Did you lose track of the number of people you've had sex with? Are you always looking for someone to be in love with? Do, do you find relationships make your life bearable? Like these are the questions and they're yes or no. And they say, if you get five yeses, This might be a place where you need help. And listen to me, people, this society breeds sex and love addiction. Mm -hmm. If you turn on the TV, if you listen to a song, everything's about unrequited love, tortured love, getting somebody back, making them love you, changing the way you look so they'll love you. So if you have this, there is no stigma and shame. There are 30 8 million people in the United States that have this addiction. 37% of them are women. And that statistic was in 2017. So I'm telling you with my recovery, it's blown up. There's meetings all over the world, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people, and you are not alone. So I, there is help. You don't have to keep going back to these toxic relationships, trying to find this person, all these things, using your sexuality, masturbating when you have a feeling, looking at too much porn. It's just... Mm. It's a progressive disease. It gets worse and worse and worse. And that alcoholism. Yeah. And if you are an alcoholic and you think you have this, just come into the rooms. A man that recently had like 35 years in AA and he just came and he's a newcomer in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And he said, 
at his meeting, he goes, I've been dodging this room for 35 years. years. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, just come in and surrender already. Like if you're an addict, this is pretty much underneath your other addictions, just from my point of view, just it's, from my experience. It's the first one. It was my first, it was yeah, my first too. addiction boys, five, at, you know, in, in kindergarten, I remember, and I've talked about this before because I also talk a lot about my struggle with depression. And I, I, mm-hmm. I realized in kindergarten that I was depressed. And guess what? I also realized that my answer were the boys, Boy crazy. With the boys in kindergarten. I know, but that's a characteristic that a lot of us have that we were boy, crazy, girl, crazy, whatever, trying to find that person at a very young age to get us out of ourselves. Yes. And you also talk about the double life a lot. And we we, we just, yeah, the double life is ridiculous. Like when I was married, uh, I'm going to come all out. I mean, say I had, I had a double life. No. Yes. I've had a double life since I was 13 years old. I had one foot on one life and one foot on the other. So I want to talk a little bit about porn too, because, um, you know, it's pretty controversial. And I think that porn has fucked up intimacy for so many, like I have a 17 year old and I I don't want to tell him he can't watch porn. I know that he does watch porn, but the thing is, is like, I I know now already only at 17, how he looks at women. Yeah. Just by the way he talks, you know? Um, And I don't mean to sound like a goody goody or not cool. And I like porn just as much as the next guy I do. And the porn that I like is really sick and demented. And that's the only way that I could get turned on. And I think that's part of my sex addiction is watching hardcore, like S and M stuff. Like, I'm not saying I do that in the bedroom, but that's what I like to watch because there's no love or intimacy in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't believe I just admitted the kind of porn I like. That's so embarrassing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's what I loved about your book. You were like, oh, I have to come or, you know what I mean? Like you just, yeah. you just say it, you just say it. And that's how I'm, I just say it. Yes. Here's the thing. When you constantly see that in young kids, especially young boys, it's really an epidemic right now you are desensitizing your brain. So any real intimacy, any like even holding hands or kissing means absolutely nothing to you. So that's the problem with porn is people are watching too much of it, seeing it constantly. So that becomes their reality. And a woman being with just like Joe Schmo down the street becomes so distant and not like, Ew. So that's the problem. It's really, really killing intimacy in our society. And that's the epidemic that's happening is it's desensitizing those endorphins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I know people that can't even get in the bedroom unless they've got porn on. I know know. they can't. It's really, really sad. It shouldn't be a tool. Like, no, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. Listen, there's nothing wrong with porn, but it's a fantasy that should be specifically used not to watch every day, not to even use it all the time with intimacy with your partner. It's like getting you're overdoing it is the problem. It needs to be a novelty. Like I'll have dessert once a month, you know, (laughs) once a month, who wants the porn once a month, you know, that's it. But right. Once it becomes, I mean, I I, I knew, I mean, I've heard everything and all the podcasts and treatment centers and everything I've been into, but you know, like I, I've talked to even women that haven't been able to leave their house because they're so addicted to, to porn. I mean, 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's a huge, huge problem. And that's why I spoke out too, but it's yeah. usually just men. And it's like, here are women that actually have trouble with intimacy as well. We wear masks. We yeah. do all these things to try to, you know, use our sexuality. And I was just so sick of the narrative. So I'm so happy that you're actually mentioning it as well for yourself. Well, yeah, it's important to talk about. It. And you know yeah. what it does to me also? I get pissed off because then guys watch porn and then they expect we uh, regular folk to do with these porn stars or to look at like them or to even act like them. And they're not even do really getting off. They're in fantasy as well. They are acting. It's like, just like a movie. It's not real. And I think that's where young minds don't understand that. And the expectations put on each other, even for young boys, the porn stars aren't, you know, having normal bodies. They're usually all like, cut up. So it's unrealistic expectations of what our body looks like, what our body looks like while we're making love and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. I I love it when the porn star has cellulite. I'm like, yay. (laughs) (laughs) See, but yeah, no, it's, 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 it's it's just not talked about. It's so important. It is, it is so big. Um, it, 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 like, like I said, I do indulge in porn once in a while sometimes. Um, yeah. But I don't like how I feel now that I have to keep up with the porn stars. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, well, sometimes I do, but I don't. No. I have no interest in wearing a mask or playing a role anymore. And I think yeah. that is why I spoke out because I was done like living in this fantasy of like, I didn't have this problem. And as a woman in recovery in Hollywood for 25 25- being a working actress. It's like, Hey, listen, I have this, I have this sex and love addiction. I get obsessed with validation, attention, falling in love. And I'm on the other side of it and you can too. And it's possible. So it's, it just seems like so unattainable. Like this, the sex addiction, like no guy, no flirting with guys. Are you like, that's what I'm not flirted in 12 years. I don't even know. And I thought I would miss it. Here's the thing. When that was one of my bottom lines, that's how we, we rate our sobriety. But when I, they said, no, my sponsor was like, you can't flirt. You can't do this. And I was like, oh my God, my life without flirting. That's my personality, but that's, I'm just right. a friendly person. I just like, you can't take away my personality. That life would be so boring. And I have to tell you as a woman to not have to flirt or use that anymore is the most freeing thing in the whole, I can't even tell you at first it was a lot of withdrawal and like, <laughs> I can't flirt. Like it was torrid. I nine months crying every day, but now it's so freeing. Nobody flirts with me. Nobody hits on me. No one says inappropriate things to me because I don't put out that energy anymore. You don't give that out. No, you can't. I'm, you can say anything to me. And it's like, it, I just, it just, it just doesn't affect me and it doesn't even happen anymore. And it's such a freeing thing to not walk mm-hmm. out in this world, wanting people to, give, give you all of that. And just to be okay in myself, it's and that's, it's so freeing. I, I, I can't even fathom the feeling of not having to bother with worrying about having, it's having to be on all the time. Yes. You know, it's, it's tiring. It is it's it, really tiring. Oh my God. The energy I put into 12 years ago, how to live for so long, the energy, the everything, the getting the hair down, looking a certain way, blah, 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 everything. It was exhausting. It was killing me. Honestly, it was killing me. And that's why I got recovery. That's why I walked into the rooms. That's why I called a therapist 
And I talk about this in the book, the first three chapters is, you know, when I first went to the therapist and I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. Why am I like going from relationship to relationship and they're overlapping and all this. And I, I almost started, you know, acting out again and blah. And she was like, well, two things. First of all, you have a secret and I don't know what it is, but you wear the mask of a high class prostitute. And I was like, what? I've never had a one night stand. I got all like, ah. yes. um, not that there's anything wrong with being a prostitute at all. Like I, that does not, that profession does not bother me, but it was just like, hit me. Oh my God. She's like, like, no, me? you wear a mask. Yeah. You're like something shut down. And then at the end of the session, and that's when she goes, Oh, I know what it is. You're a sex and love addict. And oh, it was wow. just so it was that a therapist. Moment. You knew something was wrong with you, but you didn't know what. For, yeah. for us, it's so easy because we're like, we're, we're alcoholics, you know? Yeah. We got arrested. There's something wrong. Yeah. But that's what's so hard about diagnosing sex and love addiction, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, there's not always, sometimes there are serious consequences like Tiger Woods, you know, that situation. Yeah. All that. But, yeah. um, um, but majority of the time, there's not. So you could look like your life is great. But there's just like this torment going internally on. You can't stop thinking about that person that shit all over you are cheated on you. Or you can't stop thinking about like someone you want to cheat with. Like the torment that goes on in your mind, you can't see it on the outside. So it's actually even harder because like I mentioned with Roxanne, when she was at the lowest of her low in the book, she walks and sees a, a, hair, a guy shooting dope on the street. And she goes, oh my God, I'm no different than him. His addiction is on, is plain for everyone to see living on the street with a needle in his arm. My addiction is I look perfect and okay, but I I'm using a dick the same way. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's the same thing. It just looks prettier or something. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not getting arrested. I know a lot of food addicts that have that same problem too is, um, I mean, Food addiction does show its ugly head sometimes when you're like totally anorexic or, you know, but if you're like, if you have a food addiction and you aren't anorexic and you just have a food addiction, which is something that's huge now yeah. and you walk around, you can't tell, you know, no, you, you can't ho- tell, you, you can't tell. So that's another thing. And I found that you, you said that you were abstinent for a year. And that's another thing about recovery with, with sex addiction. That's hard. And that's so tricky with food addiction, spending addiction, gaming mm-hmm. addiction. It's because nobody can tell you, you can't have sex again. You're, you're you know, so you're going to be going to your drug of choice eventually. Yeah. Same with food addicts. It's they not black and white. It's not black and white. So you have to take it all away, which is the hardest part. Go through that withdrawal. (sighs) Learn why you used them in the first place. Do all that work. Look at your resentments. Look at the people you have wronged. All that work. And then you bring it back in a way where you have your boundaries. You have your bottom lines. You have your structure around you so that you can bring it in a healthy way. But here's the thing. You're dealing with people. It's not a bottle of alcohol, a person. They're going to trigger the shit out of you. They're going to remind you of something. They're going to hit on a core issue you haven't worked on yet. And you, and you're going to get repulsed and want to run away. Like, so you're dealing with a real person, which is different from money and food, but you can't be a hermit the rest of your life. You can't turn in, you know, emotionally and sexually anorexic. So it is so hard to stay sober in Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous because what happens a lot of times, someone with two years, three years, four years, 
they're healthy, they're dating healthy. They've learned how to sober date, which the second book is about sober dating, which oh, I love I'm it. Yeah, send to you. Great. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, so you have to bring it back in a healthy way, and then they meet a partner, and then they think they're cured. It doesn't happen like that. You're not that's cured. Thing. You're not cured. You yeah. find the in the day you find the person, and you think that it's the person, and you feel better, and yeah. you think that everything's okay because that person becomes your higher power. Yeah. Like I remember I was so codependent. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I didn't realize that this was sex addiction at the time, but like I was so obsessed with this guy and, um, it, 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 it went on for so many years and he just, he, he just kept me like over there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like put it this way, his daughter got married. I was with him for two years. He didn't invite me to the wedding. Right. But he had no problem the next weekend taking me away and fucking me. You know what yeah, I mean? Compartmentalizing. He compartmentalized you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was so obsessed with this human being. I was I was so freaking I, I wasn't in love with him. I was it was obsessed. My therapist asked me, how much do you think about him? Put it in a percentage. Mm-hmm. I would say probably 85% of my day is consumed with obsessing over this this guy. And he was my drug. So I let you able- obsess over is your higher power. So that is, you definitely were in the love addiction part of that for sure. It was terrible. It took me so many years to get over him. It's brutal, so, right? Yeah. It's yeah. Worth and then when I got over him, I just went and found another one that did the same thing. I know. And they're usually worse. It usually gets worse. You keep picking bad is normally what happens. But yeah, we're crumb collectors. We like to like just take crumbs because that's all we think we deserve. So that's crazy that you said that, because you know what I said to him when when we finally like I was like, I'm not OK with taking your crumbs anymore. Yeah. That's exactly what I said. I used that. But um, yeah, we take crumbs and one little crumb means so much because you get so little from that person. Yep. You know, so when I got that one little crumb from him, that one phone call. Oh my God. The high was oh, better. Yeah. Just like and you the said, calmness. any shot of heroin I ever had. I know it's that calmness too, where your anxiety like subsides and it's that calmness and you feel like, okay, like, you know, euphoria. Yeah. And that's what as sex and love addicts, euphoria, like any other addict is all we care about. I don't want to feel any other feelings. So any other feeling I didn't know how to function. Mm-hmm. And instead you got to walk through the fire and let that shit burn and let your whole life blow up. That's what I had to do. I had to be willing to let go of everything, even my career, because my therapist said, you pick the worst career for your addiction. <laughs> like being an actor, you live in fantasy, you're sexualized all the time. You know, you're surrounded by beautiful people. And it's like, she's like, you literally pick the worst. So I was even willing to let go of my career. I was like, God, if you want to take this away, take it away. Like I have to, I cannot live like this. I can't be on my deathbed at 80, never connected to another soul on this planet. Like that to me was more depressing. Like to never be connected to another soul. And I knew that's where I was headed. You were completely uh, committed. I mean, it's, it's a commitment. It, it, like we've said a million times on this yeah. podcast, it is the hardest 12 step program to, yeah, it's brutal. Uh, it's brutal. to follow. But now that you've gotten to the other side, how has your life changed and what's different? I mean, tell us like, once you get recovery, show me the fluffing. The prizes? The, yeah. Yeah. What do I get? What do I get? <laughs> what do you get? What do you get on this game show? Um, here's the thing. 
here's the thing. I'm married now. I never wanted to be married. I never thought it would happen, but I'm with the same person I was 12 years ago. It's not like I got recovery in this program and got this magical person that was amazing. I was able to have and sustain a healthy relationship. So we've been together for 17 years. I have a son now that I never wanted a child because I was so selfish and self-seeking. I get to experience being a mother. I get to experience having boundaries with my kid and not my kid filling me as a mom. Like we have, I, I don't allow him to give mom a hug if mom's having a bad day, which I did for my parents. It's like, no, my energy goes to the kid. So I get to teach my kid how to feel feelings, be self-sufficient. I help people all over the world. I, you know, have a beautiful home, a career, a house, being serviced 24 seven. Even when I go on set, I'm of service to other people. Writing the book, I was doing it for other people. It's not for me. I didn't want to write a book. I'm not, I have dyslexia. I'm not even like a writer. <laughs> really, you're not? Because um, yeah, th- th- this, this, is, this is really, really good stuff. And Thank you. I'm, I'm so glad that you wrote it. And I'm so glad that you spoke out. Um, because so many people are afraid of this, especially women. They don't want to talk about it. You know yeah. what I mean? And uh, like, I might catch shit. I, I have a, a job on a local radio station and they're always like, mm, they, they don't like me to talk to me. You know what I mean? But this is shit that has to be said. This has to be said because if you're not going to say it, I'm not going to say it. Who else is going to say it right now? Who else is going to stand there and say, I have problems with intimacy. I like to pick toxic relationships. I'm unavailable and I pick unavailable people. I'm not a good friend. I, you know, if we're not going to say it, who's going to say it? And yeah. as women, especially that are older, it's like, we have a responsibility to teach a younger generation how to be self-sufficient and love themselves completely and not be reaching for outside things to fix them. Like yeah, that's it, our responsibility. Yeah. We have to go in every, everything's out, out, outward. And yeah. I'll also say if there's people that like me that struggle with sobriety, with chemicals and everything, once you get, I, I know that until I really get my my slosh it together. I'm never going to really have serious recovery. Yeah, it is. It's a second surrender. It's a second surrender that has to happen. Usually with the, the chemical sobriety coming in, it's because the number one thing people lose their chemical sobriety over is relationships. Go Mm. to any recovery house. They will tell you that. So this is something that is going to plague you the rest of your life. This is something that's going to take away your serenity and peace because what you're doing is whack-a-moling to, to people instead of the drinking, instead of the drugs. So I work with a lot of people that are, are sober in chemical addiction, and I help them look at where their relationships are taking them to the place where they want to use again. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the sex addiction is always what takes me down first, yeah. you know, yeah. um, I'll, I'll indulge in that with an unhealthy, you know, thing or whatever. And then the yeah. next thing, you know, banging on the bar saying, how the hell did I get here? Yeah. You're like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, you're listening, you're relating to this and you want to get help brand, tell people where they can go. I mean, there is, we said SLA there's online, but there are other, other, things that somebody can do if they, if they want to research this or get help or reach out, or how can we find you everything? Yeah. So the first thing, do the 40 questions, the 40 self-diagnosed SLAA questionnaire, type it in, they pop up. 
You're really quick to answer. That I always say do first. Reach out to me at the Brianne Davis on Instagram. I try to answer every DM and send you where it could help you the best information because there is a bunch of books. You can get my book. My book is easy to read. You'll get right through it. It's like a movie TV show and it teaches you about sex and love addiction. It educates, but it doesn't take you down a dark, dark hole where you want to read one page and throw it against the wall. Yeah. Because every, a lot of sex and love addict books are really, really dark and I couldn't even get through them. It would depress me. It would make me want to like suicide. And so that's why I wrote it really fun where you'll laugh a lot. Um, and then I like can, this better than the white book that I got at the SMA. Do you know what I'm talking about? The white yeah, book? Yeah, the white book <laughs> with the life, the life preserver. I know what yeah, book you're I talking hate about. That book. Yeah, the secret life Hollywood sex and love addict with Brianne <laughs> Davis. Um, it is. It's a light-hearted, great way to talk about, you know, sex and love addiction. Yeah. And don't be mistaken. This is one thing that, that was so hard for me that I kept saying in group therapies, I am not a sex addict. Cause I don't, I don't have to have sex, you know? No, it's not about that. But do you have to wear your makeup and dress slutty and, and get guys to turn their head and flirt and yeah. get attention and get likes on Instagram and get DMS and talk to those people on DMS and all that stuff that we do as sex and love addicts that you're probably doing right now. <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny that you say the likes because that mm -hmm. guy that I was talking about that I couldn't get over, if he didn't like a post of mine on Instagram, um, my day was ruined. Exactly. My whole day revolved for two years around whether or not this schmuck liked my friggin' post. Can you fucking believe that shit? I know. That's why. So if <laughs> those are some characteristics you're experiencing, this could help you. Okay. All right, great. And we're going to put up all your information um, so you can get to Brianne. And man, keep doing what you're doing because uh -huh. nobody likes to talk about this shit. My friend, my good friends of Courtney Anderson, she from Sober Vibes, love her. Yeah. And I know you did her show. Yeah. So kudos for Courtney for talking about this. I just want to give everybody kudos that's not afraid to talk about something taboo like this. You know, no one well, wants Thank to you for having me. And thank you for giving me a space to come talk about it in a safe place and knowing that I'm not alone because it's in you too. And we're all in this shit together. <laughs> we are girl. We are. I'm so glad I met you. You too. Thank you so much, Brianne. And it's Brianne Davis. I'm Jennifer Wild. And you've been listening to Sober Exposure. Need more? Of course you do. The show's all about needing more. Go to my website at soberexposure.show or get stuck on my Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast.